Andy Mouncey, good to see you again. We're breaking in once more. Indeed we are, Tony. So what's happened? How are things moving? I hear you might have some positive news. Um, I might at that, yes. Um, I have a significant amount of funding from the good people at NHS, um, which gives me a clear run at the work for the next two years. So it's unprecedented for me. Not, not Ministry of Justice? No. So we're outside of, of that particular fence. This is a, um, a, a part of NHS in the Northwest region uh, called Health and Justice, which does exactly what it says on the tin, which looks after people who are um, in and around the justice system. And it's a pot of money that is, um, has its origins in uh, the impact of COVID and the deterioration of physical, mental and emotional health um, for those people that are in and around our justice system. So you were very specific there. That seems to be not so much the rehabilitation agenda out with the criminal justice system, but people's well-being within prisons, yes. their mental and physical well-being. That's, yes. what, that's the purpose of the support that you're getting. Yes. Um, the, the origin of the monies, as I understand it, w- was very much on, you know, if, if you incarcerate people for 23 out of 24 hours a day for nearly two years, there's going to be some costs associated. So think, you know, there's a reason why... Um, Mentally, physically, and emotionally, we as carbon-based life forms deteriorate significantly um, if we are deprived of company, natural light, um, and an opportunity to move around. So there are some very good psychological and physiological reasons as to why um, support of this kind is and, and was absolutely necessary and continues to be so as a consequence of of what happened during COVID, which is in the prison system, as listeners will know, um, it was policy to confine men and women to cell for 22, 23 hours a day in order to stem the spread of infection. But please God, we're well past COVID. Are you saying that the 23 hours a day lockup is still the norm? No. And what I can be clear on is that locking Uh, locking people serving sentences up for a significant proportion of the day and the week remains a feature of our prison system. And the reason for that is most of the establishments, most of the prisons are short of staff, which means they cannot run a full timetable of activities, which means you're matching uh, their numbers of staff with the the numbers of men and women serving sentences that those numbers can cope with. So it means what what's called it's called running a partial regime. So so in very simple terms, that model could be you open up half your prison and the other half is sitting behind a cell door, and then for the remaining half of the day, you open the other half of the prison. I see. So. It's not as total as it was, and it's still a feature of prison life, which is that for significant proportions, men and women remain confined to cell for big parts of the week and big parts of the day. 
Um, and the reason for that is quite simply staff numbers. Okay, so the good news is you've finally got some support. This has been a mission for you, a vocation for you for the last half decade more. But I think the interesting point here is kind of the unintended consequences of of COVID and those uh, changes. And you mentioned policy um, there. Since we last spoke, there have been some interesting points that have emerged. um, And this is not a political point, but there have been some interesting concepts starting to emerge around the, the prison population and what we do as that population grows. Now, tell me where we are with the numbers. Yes, this week uh, we hit a 12-year high uh, for our prison population of 88,000 people wow. currently um, incarcerated behind bars. And as I say, we, we haven't seen that number for, for over a decade, 12 years. So that's, that's headline number one. Is that UK-wide? That's England and Wales. Northern Ireland, Scotland? Different numbers, different different systems, different numbers. So um, I couldn't tell you what the numbers are and, and relative proportions to that. What I can tell you is by way of contrast, um, Scotland have hit uh, a new low for their prison population. Okay. Um, and again, there are very definite reasons for that. Policy reason? Yes, Uh, In Scotland, uh, just over a decade ago, if my memory serves, um, they took a decision to stop sending people to jail for short-term sentences as a result of of minor offences and to put uh, the emphasis on keeping people in the community so they would serve a community sentence, so some form of payback, give-back, work contribution but it meant that they stopped sending people to prison for short-term sentences for relatively minor offences, including uh, drugs, some drug-related stuff as well. And that's in direct contrast to what happens in England and Wales. But proportionately then, you talked about people going back into the community. Are they then being resourced? Is is the, if you like, the fall-off in prisoner numbers being correspondingly... uh, met by an increase in community support facilities? Well, again, I, I don't have the the knowledge around the numbers, but, but the resources were very definitely switched as a matter of policy. We're not gonna we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna put that in there. We're gonna do this and we're gonna support this. So it's a very deliberate policy decision. Okay. So the twelve year high, the eighty eight thousand, it's a staggering number. Coming at this as a non-expert, I had no idea. I think if you'd told me there was a, a 50,000 strong prison population, I'd probably be quite surprised. But nudging, it seems inexorably towards a six-figure uh, level is um, really quite scary. And we've seen, haven't we, of late, some discussions about how you manage that. Even very recently, people talking about prisoners being moved elsewhere. Yes, another headline this week. Uh, we are in Tory Party Conference Week, which was um, apparently we're going to be renting prison cells in different countries to um, to incarcerate folks, you know, outside of our borders. Um, and this is not a party political podcast, as we as we've said, but that that is that is a function of a very real problem in this line of work, which is 
we have an awful lot of people incarcerated um, and there are some you know, hard numbers there around the system is, is overcrowded and almost at, almost at capacity. I read something this week to say that in the entire system, in England and Wales, we are down to less than 600 places available, cell places available. Some of the, the overcrowding stats are, you know, again, this week, coming out of the, the inspectorate, uh, two-thirds of English jails were overcrowded. Um, for example, Wandsworth is at 170 capacity, 170%. Leeds is at 172%. Durham's at 170%. Um, and effectively, what that one of the, the things that that means is you know, where typically you've got one, one person per cell, an obvious, you know, an obvious thing to that is people are doubling up. You know, with all the issues around shared space that, that that throws up, and for practitioners like me who are going in to do the work, uh, overcrowding is not just just numbers and stats. It has some very real practical implications. So, with that level of pressure on the system, there's the consequences that you've just touched on in terms of people doubling up. What are the other consequences? in terms of people's mental health and the pressure on the system? Yeah, um, so very practically, you've got all the, all the confinement sharing issues in a, in a confined space, and again, it's not your choice. Um, so, you know, you can imagine, you know, try and imagine sharing your bedroom with you. Someone's just being parachuted in, you've got no choice about it. Stranger. Yeah, it's, it's all of that. So you've got, you know, and, and managing that falls on, uh, falls on the staff. Yeah, you know, pretty much. The, the 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 stress levels are are higher, um, and the potential for for conflict is is you know ratcheted up. You've then got you know general there's more demand on relatively on scarce resources, um, you know, people and stuff. If you've got <laughs> if you've got more mouths to feed, more people to, to corral, more people to look after, more people to clean up after. It's, you know, it's more, more, you know, you're working more for less with all the pressures that that, that brings. For somebody like me going in to, to do the work into, you know, into a system which is, which is either at capacity and or doing its best to, to make a pint out of a quart, bear in mind that there's you know there's no required essential for for a client prison to to take me on i'm you know, it's not essential work there's no requirement it's a nice to have it's a nice to have um you know that's another podcast around you know <laughs> what, what point is in that does a nice to have in rehabilitation become become essential uh, but let's park that for the for the moment because in my experience what that means then is you're introducing another element um, to a to a system that's already creaking and or and or at capacity, and it's not it's a non-essential element. So to make that work and to make that happen, you know, requires finding members of staff who have that mentality of we want this and we're going to find a way to make it work, and they're already trying to knit fog. And make a pint out of a quart, and 
finding those uh, either relies on you know recommendations to me. So people in my network go go. I'm going to introduce you to to X, and he or she is is great because da da da, da and, and mm. you'll get looked after, and they have a can do attitude. So it either relies on recommendation, or it relies on a lottery. Because I don't know, <laughs> I don't know who the quality is, or, or and who has the can do attitude, until I spend time. Um, at the chalk face with those people. It's a it's an utter lottery, unless it's a recommendation. And the reality is it ain't essential. So what that means is, and again, we've we've talked about this before, um, it becomes very easy if you're if you're so inclined to find ways that that people like me and my stuff can't happen or can't happen as effectively. Because we just can't do it, Andy. It's just too difficult. It's just we've got to concentrate on this. Yeah. So you understand that, easy, is, yeah. Yeah. So, and I have no way of knowing really whether there's truth or that or not. Um, and the other element that's that's pertinent at the moment post COVID is the duties of a prison officer got got simplified because all that was happening, you know, you, you've got you know the people in their care were behind doors for twenty three hours a day. Sure. So the job became very simplified and. The new intake of staff, of which there has been you know, significant, um, came in to to a world where their job was was very simple. It was ex- extraordinary times and very simple. So they've never experienced, you know, life in a fully working, fully timetable prison. But just going back to the point on policy, because it seems to me that a lot of these challenges that you've just touched on are around the fundamentals in terms of grow growing numbers and increasing pressure we'll come back to the people later but in terms of the policy and the capacity issues we see that expressed in different ways you've got other stuff that appears out of left field you know all this stuff around um rack and the consequences of badly installed concrete or whatever which has affected some public buildings possibly in the prisons estate but you also see big headline events like the the breakout um uh, at a prison in london i believe um are these consequences of those policy decisions around incarcerating more people um and increasing the prison population well, the the Wandsworth escape recently um, again, it's it's you know, it's in the fu- public domain. Something like um, the staff numbers, you know, at that particular time were around sixty percent, which means you've got you've got the remaining staff having to be spread even more thinly over a, you know, an overcrowded population, which means you know, covering all the holes, you know, covering all the bases, doing all the doing all the checks. Uh, it's it becomes you know significantly more different you know your question was around you know what's the why of that on on policy well again um the answer is always you know it, it's never that simple and if we were to to pick one example that's in contrast to scotland in england and wales we continue to send people to jail for relatively minor offenses to serve short-term periods and a significant proportion of those are drug-related. 
And so are you saying that there will be more of these types of incidents potentially because of that, you know, only six out of 10 staff being available, therefore gaps creating people taking their own decisions about their own uh, liberty and also um, some of those tensions perhaps expressing themselves in other ways, you know, in in terms of the prison population um, becoming agitated? Well, you know, again, there's there's reasons why you know, prisons are are staffed to the to the levels that they are. You know, what's the full complement of staff at Wandsworth? What's the full complement of staff at X Y Z? You know, there's a reasons why those numbers are there because that's what it takes to to do the job properly, properly. And you know, <laughs> if part of that is is straight manpower to at a very simplistic level. To do the searches, to do the checks, and do the do the searches, and for for many of of those tasks, there is no substitute for for doing that at an in person level. So you you start to remove that, covering all the bases, plugging all the holes, just becomes very very difficult. And somebody like you then coming along with this support from a part of the NHS to do good things and help tackle real problems but we've already discussed those are nice to have um not necessary you then potentially are put to one side it's it becomes easier to park me and people like me because it, it's easy to to justify the parking you know, we're under pressure we're, we're under resourced um we're down on staff we just, you know, we've got to concentrate on, you know, we can't even do our basics. We've got to concentrate on doing our basics. So just in a practical so got, sense, how does that how does that express itself? Are you literally in a situation where you'll have a programme planned, you're going into a certain establishment, you've got a X number of days lined up, you're going to be doing, taking people through your programme, and then, what, you get a phone call, or do you arrive and they say that we're short of staff, we can't, how does it, how does it play uh, out? Yeah, in many different levels. So the... But the um, at the greatest level, I've 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 arrived, and had to basically uh, turn around and go home. You know, got gone to reception, and just just can't even get past reception. Um, we can't get hold of the people. Um, you know, nobody can vouch. Um, so my my advocates and and the the folks that I'm working alongside have either been redeployed within within the prison to plug some holes. Um, and reaching or getting hold of them has proved difficult and or impossible because they're immersed in, into something. So that that's happened. Um, of course, the the participants on the program, the men serving sentences, need to be um, released from cell and transported to where where we're ever doing. So it relies on people to do that. I've had, you know, sorry, we can't, you know, we can't unlock. We, you, you can't have your guys. We just enough staff. Yeah, we we just can't unlock them today for for whatever reason. Um, I haven't got the staff to do it, or we need the staff elsewhere doing doing X, Y, Z. Um, that must have real consequences. You know, yeah, and the biggest, the the biggest one so far has been you walking into a world where. Broken promises and broken commitments are the norm. So the, the the perception I walk into more often than not is uh, it's just another latest initiative. It'll never last. We've had this bef- we've had this before. 
Yeah, it, it never lasts. It never, you know, it's, it's, that's that's the charge you come up with. Um, you know, you say all these things, but it'll never happen. So the whole, the whole, you know, these guys are used to um, broken commitments, and in a place where where they have no agency to to raise hopes and then and then dash them again, however inadvertently. Yeah, is is almost a killer when you know the success of of work like mine and and you know people that that do similar and different stuff is is all about the relationship. You know, we are in the relationship building business. You know, the success of our work relies on our capacity to build, nurture, repair, and hang on to relationships. But it's more than that. It's about trust, isn't it? Well, yeah, but that's part of relationship building, I would argue. So, and a big part of that is making good on your commitments. So, so if I can't make good on my commitments because of reasons outside of my control, I still get penalised for that in in the eyes, quite often in the eyes of the, the participants, because they they don't have the full picture. I don't have the full picture. So it becomes inordinately difficult to build meaningful, lasting, trusting relationships in an environment which is almost set up to pretty much sabotage that because so much happens out of your control um, and so much can happen to derail it. So that's the challenge around around all of that for for people like me and and in this line of work. You you stand and fall on your capacity to, to nurture relationships. How do you cope with the frustration? Oh, we all have our own. We have our own strategies. Um, I certainly have a, have a toolbox full of mine, which includes going home raging and weeping. But then because we're moved to do the work, you put that in its box and dry your eyes and, and get on with it again. So I have, um, I have learned over the years to put in place my own personal rituals that, that allow me to experience what I experience, assimilate that in a way that makes me, I hope, more resilient, you know, even more empathic, um, even more committed. And I also have some some stuff in place professionally around, you know, professional supervision, professional support, where I can have, you know, I give permission for others to effectively help safeguard me. So how I safeguard me and my energy, I've become better at that and increasingly aware of the importance of that. And the reasons for that is what we're just talking about. You're in a relationship building building business and yet so much of the environment that you're in seems to be set up deliberately to, to derail and sabotage that. It sounds to me like a recipe for commitment, resilience and a vocation, Andy. There are some remarkable individuals doing doing very good work in this environment um, and those that are long lasting in my experience are long lasting for very deliberate reasons around finding a way to tread this line between you know it's a calling and a vocation and safeguarding themselves you know looking after themselves because you can't do one or the other Well, that's the people. Let's come back to the people another time and uh, good to catch up with you, Andy. Thank you. Thank you.